This is Horam with Horam's Quorum. My guest today is Kunal Patel, who's counsel at Apple's original content division. Now, that's an incredibly interesting place to be these days. And I think what's interesting about Kunal's story is the somewhat unlikely path to get there. And I think we can learn a lot from how he uses his tenacity to pursue creative fulfillment. And I think that's something that is an important lesson that's underrated and uh, under discussed. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Well, hey, Kanal, I'm glad that we took the time to talk. And uh, we talked earlier this week and we hit it off. And uh, your story is super interesting. I'm glad that I hit you up to learn more about what you're doing. Uh, so I want to just continue that conversation. And you actually, I don't usually do this, but you had a, I feel like you've really got a, you've got a very interesting narrative and you know the importance of sharing that narrative to help people wrap their heads around your story when it comes to your path to vice. Uh, Cause you know, it's, it's really cool to be at vice. I think a lot of people would say to themselves, how do you end up at vice? Like what, what does that path even look like for a lawyer? Sure. Um, and so I, so I think just starting with that story, I think would be super interesting. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, thanks for, thanks for having me. And yes, I'm surprised that anyone ever wants to hear from me, but I did, but I do think that like, like I told you, like, I, I do think, yeah, it's important for people to know you can get here. That that's all like, no one has to try to be like me or anything, but like, just, you can make it, you know, you, you can, or I said, make it, not that I've made it, but like, you can get here. Um, interestingly enough though. So I'm not at vice anymore. I'm at Apple. Um, so I was at vice. I so think, I think I got it. Now I get that's it. That's the update. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the update. So um, so I met Apple now working in their original content, um, original content division, which is like, that's a place I never thought I would get to coming from where I come from. So my, my story is that I will tell anyone to this, to this day, I think I told you this on the call that I am a shitty lawyer and I am a better creative person. I've always been a creative, but at some point, you know, your Indian parents tell you, you need to, you need to you need to make a check. Like you need, you need to make some money. Like what the hell are you doing? Um, and because I, you know, I kind of looked around and I was like, I like to read, I like to write, I like to speak sort of, um, maybe I can take all this together. And because I've been hanging out at recording studios all the time, it, it never dawned on me until just now. Like I used to hang out at recording studios all the time and all the different people would come up to me. They'd never come up to anyone else. They'd come up to me and they'd go, Canal, I got this contract. What does this mean? Or they'd be like, this says copyright. Do, do I have a copyright? Like they would always come up to me and I never understood why they came up to me. And I think it was because I was the Indian guy uh, who was there. And I was like the sore thumb kind of, and they just had thought that I knew about this. Um, and like, true, true enough. Like I'd be like, hold on a second. I'd Google it and just give them like sort of layman's answer. But once, you know, push came to shove and my, my, you know, I thought about what my parents had said and stuff like that. I was just like, all right, let me go to law school. Let me see if I can learn the ins and outs of intellectual property, of media, of entertainment. I can get out of law school, go work for an entertainment company, a media company. And I think that Indian people are going to be on the come up one day and I'll be able to help them because I'm pretty sure the first person who gets screwed um, is the creative always, right? Like when you look at the contracts and especially nowadays, you hear a lot of people like Dave Chappelle and everybody talking about how they sign contracts and they you know, they didn't know what they were signing at that time and stuff like that. I knew that at some point we will have our moment too. And I want to protect our people. That's, that's kind of what I want to do. I want to protect everybody, but I absolutely want to make sure that our people don't get taken for everything, you know, which is what these companies are really good at doing. Um, so I got out of law school. I didn't go to the best law school because I will tell you, I'm not a great student. Um, I like, I, I never, yeah, I never was a great student. Um, but I got out of I got out of law school and I just thought you'd be able to get into entertainment. Like I did no research into this. I was a fool. Um, I interned at like a criminal law firm. I interned at a civil litigation firm. I tried to get the entertainment, the entertainment firm or business internships. I couldn't get it. it the barrier for entry is so high. I could not get into any of those. So I got out of law school and was hit with that reality of like, oh shit, I did not think this through. I, I don't know how to do this. Um, so I threw my resume at the wall for a really long time. Um, I went back to a firm that I worked for when I was, uh, when I was, um, 
in law school before law school, like I was their paralegal, I was their, their office, office clerk and stuff, their family law firm. And they were just like, yeah, we know you, we like you, we think you're competent, come on in, we know you want to apply to entertainment stuff, just work for us for a bit. And if you get something, go with God, they were very gracious, you know, to let me to let me do that. So they hired me as an associate counsel. And I did divorces and child custodies and things for about a year and a half after law school, it was it's not for me. It was soul sucking. I I wasn't like, it's lucrative. You make a lot of money, but I just couldn't picture myself doing that for my entire life. And I would keep throwing things at the wall and still nothing was connecting. Um, and then finally, out of virtue of being on LinkedIn at the exact time when they posted this job posting, I think, um, I applied to a role at Maxim for a, for a, I believe it's for an assistant counsel. Yeah, I believe it's for like an assistant counsel, something like associate counsel, something like that. What year is this? God, I wish, I can't even remember. So I graduated law school 2013. Hmm. Um, so I would say this was like 2013, 2014, something okay. like that, somewhere around then. Um, and I interviewed with them, uh, met like a lot of people. I thought, man, I might have this one in the bag. I don't know why they interviewed me with no experience, but I may have this one. Um, I didn't get it. And for the next like year, year and a half while I was working at this divorce firm, I would just keep emailing the GC and being like, hey, man, I'm still out here. Like just saying what's up every couple of months. I would just do that and never get a response. I would never get a response. Uh, And then one day out of the blue, he responded and he was just like, I think you've been adequately persistent, which I always remember that he said that he was appropriately, appropriately persistent. I could throw you a bone. You can come and be a paralegal in my business and legal affairs department. Um, It's kind of like a revolving door, which means I can give you about a week's notice before I have to let you go. But if you want the position, you can have it. And so I went from being an associate counsel at a family law firm uh, to a paralegal over at Maxim, uh, which was, you know, it was a step back. It was a step back, but it was one that I thought would help me in the future. And it did. Can we just pause in that moment? Because I mean, that's a, yeah. that's a wild moment. So just yeah. what was going through your mind when you're, what were the considerations you were making? What ultimately tipped you over the edge to say, I'm going to go for this? Well, you know what? It was barely a decision for me. I just was like, yeah, that can I curse? I'm sorry. Yes. I, oh, I'm, okay. Because I, I, I tend like my brain goes faster than my mouth. And I'm just, I was about to be like, fuck it. Like, let me get that. And I didn't know. Um, but yeah, it, in my head, I was just like, fuck it. Like, no, this is what I'm going to do. I didn't even think like, cause the, I don't know, titles haven't super mattered to me ever. Um, and in this instance, I was like, listen, you want to be in this space. It doesn't matter if you have the title or not, just get in the department, learn what you can. Maybe it won't be a revolving door. And even if it is, at least you'll have this on your resume. You'll be able to talk with a little bit of conviction in terms of, hey, I've looked at model agreements, talent agreements, location agreements, like the things that a hiring manager wants to hear. At the very least, I'll be able to talk about that, right? So it wasn't much of a consideration for me. I was just like, wow, they, I got it. You know, like emailing this guy every like four months for a year and a half, it worked, <laughs> you know? Um, so that was uh, that was cool. And it, and, and it was a cool place to kind of learn. Um, you know what I mean? Like I was doing very... I wouldn't say I was doing like super important things, but in my own time, I was like reading documents. I was watching how things, you know, unfold, listening to like litigation calls, like also, you know, all sorts of things like that. And it it was very helpful. I was there for like five, six months. That was it. And true to his word, I had like a week's notice. Honestly, if I go back to where they are now, if they're in the same office, if you opened up the desk that I sat at, my Verizon charger might still be in there because I didn't even come back. I didn't have the ability to even come back. It was just, oh shit, you know, we can't, you know, we have to get rid of the position and it's Friday. So don't worry about coming in on Monday. And I didn't have anything really super important there. It was just like my charger and like some pens and shit. And I was just like, yeah, fine, fuck it. Cool. You know? And then I was, um, and then I was out. So after that, I had a stint of just like unemployment. Um, and this is the part where this is this is the part where I say a lot of people don't have this opportunity, but I was able to go live at home with my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And as much as my parents and I had a very kind of aggressive conflict oriented relationship as I grew up, um, I will never take it away from them how supportive, how life-changing that is, that I didn't have to worry about a roof over my head um, because I could, I could, I could be at home, right? Like I didn't have to worry about that. And someone, someone told me about that. Uh, I forget later when I was like talking about this whole experience and, and they were just like, you should never be ashamed of the fact that you did have that. You should take advantage of the fact that you had that, you know? Um, and I did, I busted my ass every single day. I was applying, put Maxim right there on my resume and what I did. I was applying every day. Um, I was driving fucking Uber, uh, because I needed money. I was not going to sit there and, and take money from my parents. I was going to take the roof, uh, and the food, <laughs> but I was not going to be using their credit cards and using their money and all that sort of stuff. Um, I just didn't, I just didn't want to do that. So I was driving Uber, um, my, my, my then girlfriend, now wife would remember that I would, I would call, you know, I'd be talking to her and I'd be, she'd be like, what are you doing? And from like, I don't know, like 8am to 12pm, I would be applying, looking up places, hitting up people on LinkedIn, doing whatever. And then from like 12 till nighttime, I would be driving Uber. So I would just make sure, you know, I got all the work in that I could. Um, and then I would go do that. And it's funny, my story jumps around so much because of all the different you know, like also when I graduated law school, I had hit up an HR person at Universal Music Group because working for a record label, that, that would be like a dream come true for me. And I did the same thing as I did with the GC at Maxim. I kept hitting this person up to be like, hey, uh, really interested in Universal, would love to apply for this role. Let me know if you think I'd be a good fit, all that sort of stuff. She was, um, she was a friend of a friend. That's, I wasn't just cold emailing them in case that matters. It was a friend of a friend. Uh, but I didn't get a response for two years. And then one day out of the blue, and this was during that unemployment stint, um, she emailed back and was just like, hey, we, we have an opening in our department here. Do you have a current resume? I never saw your emails. And I, and I definitely like laughed at her and I was like, you are a liar that you never saw this thread of emails. But yes, here's my here's my current current resume, um, and she got me in, and uh, I just interviewed with them, and a week later I had the job, and I was working as part of my dream for a record label, Universal Music. In fact, the largest record label in the business. What was the time frame between um, leaving Maxim, losing your job, Maxim, and then joining Universal? I think it might have been. Somewhere close to six to eight months, maybe. Yeah, it was pretty. It was a lot. Of, it was it was a decent amount of time, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. It was a pretty decent amount of time because I felt like I, I you know, like I don't want to throw around the word depression or anything, right? Because I I don't. That's a clinical thing. I don't know anything about that. But that was a really dark period where I was just like, man, I'm throwing everything at the wall. I have a law degree. I'm driving an Uber. Not that that's a bad thing either, but like, what am I doing? You know, and my parents also every day, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, um, and I couldn't, it couldn't, my parents are very, um, they're very, they're very modern. Like my parents don't have an accent. They've been here, I think since the eighties, um, my mom's from England. And so like, there's, we don't really have family in India. I, my family is in England. So like, they're very, very kind of modern, uh, it's really surprising when you see them, to be honest. Um, and I forget where I'm going. Oh, yeah. Even to them, I couldn't explain to them why, what an entertainment attorney was. They just couldn't fathom it. They couldn't understand it. And they couldn't understand why I wanted to do it. You know, so there was so there was a lot of that. So it was it was a pretty decently long period of time where it got really dark. And then out of the blue, you know, I got that email and that got me in the department. What sustained you in that time? I mean, I think that's I think that's super important to to go back to that time. And you know, was the rigor your schedule? Was it your relationship with your parents, relationship with your girlfriend? I mean, I'm sure it's some piece of all of those. But like, what kept you going? Because that's that's a really hard thing to go through. And uh, you know, in the time frame you're talking about, because this was in like 2014, 2015. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in that time frame, the economy was pretty good. You know. So mm -hmm. Jobs to be had out there, so I feel 
pretty jarring, you know, to be like saying, okay, like, what am I going through versus, you know, what other people are going through? Maybe mm-hmm. your peers, you know, had traction at their jobs or whatever. So like what sustained you in this, in that period of time to keep, to keep on going? That's a, that's a really good question. And if I have to be honest about it, I mean, like, it, I've kind of always had that personality, I guess. Like, I just keep, I'm very persistent. Like, I just keep going for things, you know, if I'm truly interested in it, then it wasn't like my parents were like mentally supporting me. You know what I mean? So I can be honest and be like, they weren't, I was not sustained through them. I was sustained, um, from the fact that I wanted to make something of myself so that they would be proud. So maybe indirectly, you know, they sustained that. Um, Maybe that's what it was too. It was kind of like, I wanted people to be proud of me. You know what I mean? And I wanted people to know that I had not wasted my life because anyone who knows me, they know about all my creative pursuits, all the different things I do. And it only made sense that like, yeah, I would be relegated to just driving an Uber for the rest of my life, right? But something in me was just like, no, that's not going to be where it ends, right? And so it wasn't It wasn't even my girlfriend, my wife now, like it, she supported me heavily, but it wasn't even her. It was just me. I would, I would wake up every day and apply. I never thought, no, I won't get it. I just thought, it sounds so cliche, like, oh, it's just a matter of time. But like, no, I just, I just kept going. I keep hitting walls until they break. That's really it. You know, I, I think that's it. And it's just a part of me. You know, you said something interesting about, you know, so having these, this kind of like creative bent for a while and then friends, you know, in for that reason, friends like, oh yeah, of course you're going to be, if, if you're interested in those things, that means you'll just be driving Uber to get by or whatever. And I feel like I do have a number of friends that I grew up with, you know, in my twenties who, who had an interest in the arts. Um, and this is the, these are people that I met from being roommates with them. Cause like, you know, in your twenties, you're just flung together with sure. <laughs> just like nothing like the things you're going after. I mean, at the time I was, you know, I was a futures broker and, you know, my two roommates was like, you know, one was a pianist uh, who taught piano, tutor piano. And the other one was uh, teaching part-time film editing and working on his own documentary. And so I do feel like from the crowds that, you know, these people have exposed me to and other friends that, you know, there's a sense that, you know, if you're, if you're pursuing something that you really are interested in, I, I feel like they're very drawn to this romantic with a capital R idea that, you know, there's a tragedy in pursuing the things you're interested in. And mm-hmm. part of what I'm sensing is your message or your ethos is like, you know, it definitely doesn't have to be a trade-off that you can definitely pursue the things that you are passionate about and find a channel for that. That is productive. That is, you know, um, you know, uh, making you money, just take your pick of, you know, valuable thing. Um, it's not trade off. So, I mean, it sounds like you believe in that. Is, is that the case? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. And I think I came to that conclusion after, after some time, like I still do very much like you saw those links I, I sent you, like, even if you haven't seen them, at least you, you saw that. Like I, I, I pursue everything that I wanted to. Um, and people always ask me like, how are you not tired? And I'm just like, I'm exhausted, but nonetheless, I'm still going to keep doing this creative stuff. Like, yes, I'm a lawyer, I'm, but I'm still going to keep doing all this other stuff because this is, it's what I love. Like it's what, it's what I wanted to do. And I think, I think there, see, people will probably take, um, people will probably take, uh, I'm losing the word right now, offense to this, but I think there's a fallacy in, in thinking that if you are pursuing something in the creative arts, you have to 100% be in that world or you won't succeed. I don't think that's true. And I think most of the successful people, in fact, I believe, I read it in some book, most successful people, they've had their feet in both worlds until it made sense to take that risk. You know what I mean? And so I came to that conclusion after some time that like, yeah, I'll keep both of my feet, you know, I'll keep my feet in both worlds. And then when the, when the, the risk justifies it, maybe I will be able to be a full-time creative at some point. You know what I mean? But I think that there is really, there's really a fallacy that people build on. That's like, no, I'm a creative. I got a hundred percent be a creative and do everything. And like, sure, we get a lot of good stuff out of that. But I just think it's like, it's really a dangerous, it's really a dangerous thing to, to adopt as like, you could be out on the streets, 
You know what I mean? Like you'll really struggle and, and maybe, maybe that's what, you know, I, I struggled and I didn't like it. Like, I don't want to struggle. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know who likes struggle and I'm still able to make cool art. Um, but I'm able to sustain it now, you know? Um, so that, yeah, that's kind of how, that's where I fall on that. Okay. So let's pick up with universal. So, you know, your dream to be at a record label now you're there. Yeah. Then what? Yeah. So I'm there and I'm, I'm working on this, you know, really cool team. I had one of the greatest bosses I've ever had. Um, similar to many of the places I've worked, I've always thought my bosses hated me until later when I realized they liked me. <laughs> um, but he's one of the greatest, he's one of the greatest bosses I've ever had. He, um, he's, his name like rings bells in that particular community. So I was working in anti-piracy content protection and I've interviewed at other places throughout my life. And anytime I've ever brought up his name in terms of, of who I worked for, you know, when it was relevant, um, it's like I'm saying the boogeyman's name. And so it is, it's fantastic. I love it. It's so much, it's so much fun. Um, but he's just this really, he's just this really old dude who's been in the business for such a long time. And I got to learn from him. It, it, it wasn't much like, this is how you analyze a license. Like that's not what was going on. It was more just seeing how do you handle yourself in a corporate environment? Um, how do you deal with all these different these different departments pulling and pushing on you. Um, what we did dealt with a lot of A-level talent and a lot of management. Um, and we were making sure that we were protecting UMG's interests, right? So we were, I was part of the team that brought all the Snapchats, the Twitters, the Facebooks to the table before they were licensing music. We were the ones who did all the takedowns um, and who did all the fair use analysis and all that sort of stuff. So it was, it was really an exciting place. Um, to be at. And at some point, you know, I think I did like two and a half years there, two and a half, three years there. At some point, um, I realized like music, I love music, but the visual aspect is also something that I need to learn. Um, I need to understand like first amendment stuff. I need to understand defamation. I need to understand all these sorts of things. So I need to go somewhere where I can, I can be actively involved in that. And again, I was applying all over the damn place and this vice position showed up and I never in a million years thought vice would look at me, never. Um, and something that has become repetitive in my career was that I reached out to a friend of a friend and that friend referred me internally. And that made, I'm fairly certain, all of the difference. Um, there have been a few people, uh, they've always been, they, they've always been brown women now that, that I think about it, um, who have supported me throughout my career. Uh, the HR person at Universal, even though it took her two years to get back to me, but she's been super, super you know, helpful after that. But there was her, then there was this lady at Vice um, who sent my resume along, who helped me um, get the interview. And I, to this day, I'm surprised they hired me. I have no idea, you know, why why they hired me. And that was quite possibly the craziest experience of my life. Um, also the most enriching. I want to delve back to Universal because you're yeah. talking about, so who did you, can you say who you came up under? Like who is the person that, you know, is the boogeyman? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, his name's David Benjamin. Okay. Yeah. So, so you kind of like, you know, so this person schooled you in kind of the, um, you know, all the moving parts and consideration. So, let's do it before and after before you had this idea about, you know, like how to, um, you know, think about a license or think about a transaction, think about a deal. And then there's mm -hmm. after where you have more considerate consideration for internally other departments than externally other uh, players, like say snap or whatever. So yeah. what changed, like what's, what's the framework that you developed or like, you know, what, what's your model for, for, for thinking about, you know, entertainment issues and, and the players involved and the tensions between talent and, you know, the, uh, the different needs of the different departments. Can, can you sketch out that? Cause like, I want to get like a glimpse in the world of like what it means to be thinking about the different moving parts of universal and its, and its interests. Yeah, for sure. I mean, honestly, I think what I learned the most from David was just like the, I don't give a fuck attitude because that's what it was sometimes like sometimes high level artists, would hit us up directly and be like, I want this taken down. This person's talking shit about me. 
And, you know, at first I'd be like, wow, this is like, you know, you can pick any A-level artist that you want and guaranteed their team emailed us or they emailed us, right? I'd be like, wow, this is this person. I got to figure out a way to get them, you know, to get this taken down. And after some time, it was just, you know, and then seeing how David approached things, how he wanted us to approach things. It was more like, no, you can't legally do that. Like that's not allowed. And I don't care who the fuck you think you are, but that is not a risk we are willing to take, you know? And so I think that was kind of what I really learned there, where before I was a little bit more timid about things like that, you know, and I was trying to find my place. It was really helpful for me to see how how he just dealt with all these situations. Like when when the artist, when the management, when the department is correct, they're correct. But when they're wrong and when it's too much of a justifiable risk, we have to be that stopgap, you know, and we have to be very strong about that. And as long as you did your job, even if it comes, even if you get blowback, you did your job. You know what I mean? Um, that's very much, you know, that might have not been, that might have been something that I, maybe some people would have known directly out of law school. But for me, that was my first time witnessing some stuff like that. You know, I had advocated on behalf of clients before, um, especially divorce clients, right? Like that crazy, like crazy different perspectives. But from him, I really learned how, how to do that. You know, how to not be afraid of standing on your own too and really advocating for this this belief that you have. Yeah. And yeah, I, so. I mean, what, I mean, so to what extent, I mean, how do you think about, what were the ways in which Universal was aligned with its talent? What are the ways there was conflicts of interest? I think it was like, I think it was just, so a lot of what our department did was analyzing what rights we had um, in in music, whether it was older catalog or whether it was new stuff that was coming out. And a lot of times the big conflict would be when people just wanted things pulled down with no justification, right? So that was a big push and pull that we had to do. And you know, you learn eventually when to be like, no, fuck no, I will not take that down, right? Then there was a lot of times where like we were the first department amongst all the major labels that did this work. We created, David created, this department and it has become such a profit making machine for the labels and everybody else has a anti-piracy content protection department now because we were on the cusp of it at that time where people didn't really even understand they were like what do you mean we can monetize videos what do you mean we can block videos what does that mean so we would have to go to teams we would have to go to i remember i walked into i walked into an A&R's an A&R's office uh, at Republic Records, I think. And I was just talking to him about something and he was just like, where where do you work? And I was like, anti-piracy, content protection. He was like, where the hell is that? Like no one even knew we existed, mm. you know? So we had to make the case for ourselves a lot. Um, and we had to, to the artists too, sometimes the artists wouldn't understand. They'd be like, my music's getting pulled down everywhere. Why are you doing this? And we'd be like, listen, if you do if you do this sort of a policy where you're pulling down everything it'll drive more view you know more views to your streams right to your channel to your official channel so umg's official channels that'll be helpful to you on the opposing end of that we could monetize all of it and that's up to you do you want to do that do you not want to do that we had to we had to do a lot of that so that's that's kind of where the back and forth really you know came about mm-hmm. What surprised you the most was working with that kind of talent? You know what? I think what surprised me the most was how understanding they are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always been, you know, we had a few cantankerous ones that were kind of crazy all the time, but it's always been my, I've worked for cloak and dagger attorneys before ones who just kind of like, we do our work in the shadows <laughs> and we don't explain and that's it. Um, but I've always been more of the kind of attorney that just explains why I'm saying no or why I'm saying yes. You know, um, I like to do that. I like to make sure you understand. Um, some you know people have joked with me that they're like, "Yeah, you're making people understand you right out of a job." But you know, I'm that's just how I'm built. So a lot of times when I would be communicating with the team, you know, and the artist is on CC or something, or if you're communicating directly with the artist, 
it was amazing to see how you could just like lay out a few points and they'd actually get it, you know, where I think a lot of times maybe people are afraid to do that. Um, and they don't realize like if you talk to somebody straight, they might actually understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so can you say some more about, you know, it sounds like you're getting really experience that, you know, later become sounds like an industry standard. So then what was it, you know, you mentioned, you know, taking an interest in some of the kind of like, you know, First Amendment and defamation kinds of, of related issues. And that's a, a skill set you felt you needed to round out. Why is that? Why did you feel you, you wanted to, to, to get that additional skill set or, or, or focus on that or explore that? Um, I feel like I've always just wanted to keep building my, my skill set. You know, like I, I've always wanted to, I always wanted to do music, right? So then I, I was able to get to Universal there I learned music, right? And so then in my head, I was like, okay, what else can I learn now? You know, like I, I, I've i always kind of been that person. Like I just want to have these different pieces in my tool belt. I think I'm not shy about telling people that like being a lawyer is not my ultimate end goal. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not something that I dream of being when I'm like 60, 65, that's not it. Um, I'm, I, I'll say it to anyone, like I'm not a threat to anybody. Like <laughs> I'm not trying to be the biggest GC in the world. I'm not trying to take nobody's job, none of that stuff. I'm just trying to learn things that are interesting to me that I can hopefully use later on in life when I'm further pursuing these creative things that I want to do and that I I hope will bring me into interaction with those rising South Asian, brown you know, Middle Eastern, whoever stars that I can then help and be like, Hey, I know an aspect of this, you know, like I'm not the, the expert, but here, I can tell you how to protect yourself a little bit here. And that gives me fulfillment, you know? So, um, going to vice was just a matter of like, wow, they make some crazy content. I don't think that they will ever look at me, but Hey, let's, let's try. Because if I get there, um, I will probably learn so much about how to just pick up a camera and go out there you know, instead of just like what I'd been used to, which was going into a recording studio, making music, kind of understanding the different components of that. Mm -hmm. Um, Now I wanted to get more of a bigger picture of that. And so then what was, you know, you kind of charted out the transformation you had universal and, you know, I don't know how much that was a function of structure there, you know, or or the environment there um, or how they made their money, but like, what was, you know, what are the ways in which the vice experience was different than universal? Oh, it was, it's like night and day. It's, it's night and day. Like Vice is the wild west, you know, as much as, as much as they're a company that's actually been around since like 1985, if I'm not mistaken, they certainly act like a company that just came about last year. And, and it, and it has its, it has its, um, it has its gifts and it has its curses. Uh, you know, Universal is very much more like, they have policies for everything. They have like, they have departments, you know, fuck it. They have departments, right? Like vice people would walk into our office and just be like, Hey, I sold a design. Uh, I think I'm starting a merchandise line of business. Can you help me? Like no one thought about it. They just did it. And then we're the cleanup crew after the fact. Right. So a lot, a lot of stuff like that would happen where I was just like, I don't know anything about merch. I, I don't know anything about anything, but okay, fine. I'll help you. You know, we have like in-house graphic design team that came from God knows who, God knows where. And they'd walk in and be like, we just sold some designs to this third-party company. I'd be like, what do you mean? Like, I don't know this, but okay, I'll help you. Um, and it's a place where you get like, if you get to if you get to work there, it's like, you'll have headaches every day. You'll be stressed out. But the sheer breadth of experience you get is insane. You'll get it nowhere else. Um, would I do it again? Yeah. I, yeah, because that was a place where I really got a ton, a ton of experience. Um, we joke that like, you know, a month that vice is like three months everywhere else. It's like six months advice is like three years everywhere else. Um, because you touch so many things. Um, and I was just doing, you know, I came in to just work on TV. Uh, we have a TV channel Vice the, or vice, vice land had a TV channel has a TV channel. It's called vice TV now. And I came in to work on that um, and work on rights and clearances. And within like two, three months, it just broadened. And I was just across business and legal in general. And that encompassed doing everything, 
you know, like I was working on digital stuff. I was working on social media stuff, uh, pre-production, production, post-production for just everything. Um, I worked with the news team sometimes when they needed some help. I didn't work with them like super, super often. They're the, they're the coolest people. Um, but when they need, when they had some overflow, I would work with them. Um, I got to do so much crazy shit. <laughs> it's just the craziest place on the planet. And so did you learn, you know, you set out to learn, you know, kind of like this more indie approach of, you know, just like how to just like, just, you know, wing it and just try things. So like mm-hmm. how did that impacts your creative work. Wait, could you ask that again? Well, how did it, you know, so, you know, you, you saw like how Vice is kind of everything's by the flying by the seat of pants, you know, how did that impact how you approach your creative projects? Oh, that's, I mean, that's a, that's such an easy answer for me because I came back after like six months at Vice and I told my, I told my wife, I told one of my friends who, who I work on a podcast with, I was just like, listen, if they can do it, we can do it. That is what I saw from Vice. Um, and that's what I was blessed to see from them. That they, the only difference is they have a budget, right? Like they have a budget, they have relationships. Um, obviously it's a big company. So that that's the difference. But the fact that, you know, at Vice, somebody's just like, I have this idea and they just go, okay, pick up a camera and go shoot the shit. Well, I can do that too, right? Like it, that was one of the most beneficial things I got from Vice, watching them put shows together, watching them watching them fail at things, watching them succeed at things. And just realizing that anybody can do this. Like you can do this at my, whoever lives across the hall from me, you know, in my apartment building can do this. It's not hard. You just pick up a camera, go outside, or you get a tape recorder, go outside. You know, like if you're interested in some shit, you can do it. Um, and I really, I really took that to heart after working there. Um, and so, and, and, and that's influenced like everything, you know, like, I said one day I want a podcast. So I made a podcast. I said I want to film a docu short about this lady. So I went and did that. Um, I have a bunch of other, you know, documentaries I filmed, cooking things that I've filmed that like I was just like, yeah, why not? You know, if you can't give me a good reason for why I can't do it, then I'll just go ahead and do it. You know, um the docu short. So I watched it. Yeah. It was fascinating. How did you come across her? Thanks. Um when I was getting married, I had turned to my wife and I had said, Hey, do, do uh, female Hindu priests exist? And she was just like, I don't think so. Um, and me being who I am, I started to hit that wall and I started to Google female Hindu priests. And I saw that there was an article written, written about them. I think I forget where. So then I emailed the author and I was just like, who are these people? How do I get in touch with them? And, and that author put me in touch with somebody else who then put me in touch with somebody who knew this girl, um, this woman. And after some time I was able to reach her and I was just like, this is phenomenal. We went to go see um, a ceremony she was officiating at a temple and it was awesome. I was just like, this is this is so cool. And so she officiated my wedding mm-hmm. um, and we've become cool. Like we're, we're great friends, all of us. Um, I thought it would be so, I thought, I just thought it would be so novel. Uh, to have somebody in my life as like a religious guidepost that wasn't some uncle that I have no idea what he's saying, you know, cause that's what all the pundits are. They don't talk to you. Like they don't tell you anything. They don't give you guidance. Like they just say some shit and then they walk away. Like that's it. Um, but she's like, I think she's 30, you know, and she's, she lives in Brooklyn and she's in the community. She's in the temple. She knows what she's doing. Like it's phenomenal. It's great. And I thought that her story should be shared with people. And so what else, what are your other creative projects you're working on right now? Um, well, so I have a podcast. Uh, that's where I just shoot the shit with my wife and one of my friends because I, I'm i pretty opinionated, I guess. Like I, I, I didn't think that because I'm pretty quiet. Like I'm a pretty quiet person, but I'm pretty opinionated about certain things. And uh, we just thought, why not record them and put them out there? <laughs> so I do that. Um, I'm working on like a scripted short. I'm working on other docu shorts. Uh, my wife is a singer professionally. So we're always working on like Um, her music and her, you know, her projects and things like that. I make music myself still. Um, so that randomly happens just all sorts of stuff. You know, what have you learned from, so you've worked these like, you know, top tier institutions, 
And, you know, like, so what are the lessons you learned from that that you want to, because I think you've talked a lot about, you know, uh, wanting to protect, you know, South Asians, you know, your people, you know, and encourage them and make them able and capable to put out better art, you know, and get better mm-hmm. supported uh, in that. So what do you see as key to that? Because I mean, I'm thinking by way of analogy of, you know, with Detroit, you know, and you had all the labels that came out of there. Uh, you know, I'm from Chicago. So from Chicago, you had some labels out of there. So that, you know, both, you know, that both care to a black population and really mm-hmm. elevated black talent. So, I mean, like, what are the things that you think, you know, South Asians need to, to develop talent now? Now, I mean, the game's kind of changed, you know, you needed more intermediaries back in the day, but now mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's things like TikTok and YouTube where you can go directly to masses. So it's a little different now, but yeah. you know, what, are, what are the ways of curating or, or amplifying that you think are going to be really powerful going forward for, say, for, particularly for, for a South Asian American community? I think... You know, one thing that's that's always it's very underrated, um, and it's something that's present in all of these other communities that that may, you know that kind of make it that have made their mark um, is supporting one another. I I don't think South Asians and I'll probably people probably take offense to this as well, but like I don't think South Asians are very good at supporting one another mm-hmm. in the especially it, supporting one another in fields that they don't know anything about. Mm-hmm. Right. I feel like South Asian medical professionals support one another. I feel like that's a huge group that supports one another. And innately, we're all like, you're a doctor. It's so great. Like, yeah. But anything that's off the beaten path, they're not good at supporting. Um, and the only way we move forward as a culture, as a people, um, is to support these talents that are coming up. And for those talents, when they start getting a little bit of like, you know, shine or making their way to remember where they came from and to also support one another. You know what I mean? Like I've told people for a really long time, everyone's really busy trying to be the first South Asian to do something or the first Middle Eastern person to do something. You cannot be the first unless there's a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and so on. You cannot. And I think that that is incredibly stupid that everyone's trying to do that. And so the support thing I think is the most important thing, you know, like I didn't know you existed, right. Until, until you had messaged, then you connected me to, uh, well, I saw your post about the Marlins GC, which I'm still so so bewildered by that that guy exists. Right. And then you connected me to somebody else at another company that I had no idea these people exist. Right. And these are the people that I want to be around. These are the people that have the education um, and, and the support. It just, it just matters so much, you know, and, that, and that's knowing that you have a group of people who you can turn to, um, like as an artist or what have you, that's, that's powerful. That's really powerful. I, I don't know, like if, if any of these artists coming up right now, like if they, you know, they get a contract put in front of them or something, do they know who to give that to? Do they even know what to do in terms of like not signing it right away? You know, because the amount of people I've had to counsel to just like, don't sign it immediately is staggering. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. Um, so just like that support, that visibility, it'll be, it's, it'll be so helpful, you know? Well, let's talk about, you know, how that applies in South Asian eternity. You're kind of talking about that. I love that, that first analogy. You can't be a first mm-hmm. to be people following you. And I do think that's something that really does affect the South Asian legal community. I think there's definitely like some gray hairs and, you know, these are people who, you know, have kind of quote made it. And um, I think they, I'm trying to put myself more in their shoes. I think they all, they, they feel a lot of pressure. I think they feel like, Oh, a lot of people are looking to me for, you know, um, you know to get pulled up this ladder or whatever analogy you want to use. Yeah. And so I think they're, you know, maybe not, you know, and on top of they've got it, you know, in their positions, they're already, you know, faced with demanding challenges of the work itself by being in those positions. So they're maybe not the most equipped to, you know, create the facilities for number two, number three, number four. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, I think another key part of, so, so that's something that needs to get solved. Um, but I think another piece that needs to get solved is also 
um, you know, stretching the boundaries of what we can do because, you know, we don't necessarily need a second, third, fourth of the same thing. Right. So like mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, my background is, you know, as a patent litigator and, you know, when you go to, you know, Saba and you go to, Oh, there's going to be like the IP event, whatever is half a Saba shows up for that. You know, it's just like mm-hmm. so many people were, you know, like me where you studied science because you thought you were going to go to med school and then you figure out you aren't going to go to med school. Your parents maybe. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, just, and you have to endure that whack joke every time you go to a conference about it. But, you know, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you know, so then, you know, so, so very, very conventional path in that way you could say for me. And so I'm so fascinated with, you know, people like yourself in this community where, you know, you're not, it's not like you invented the, the idea of being interested in creative pursuits. There's so many attorneys who are like, Oh, I've, I have this creative pursuit or, you know, like, oh, yeah. you know, whatever. But I mean, um, you know, no one's very few people are doing what you're doing and stressing themselves. So, you know, I feel like what this community needs more of, I think we're, pl- we've got plenty of, of voices saying, Hey, you know, here's how to, you know, go clerk for the Supreme court and here's mm-hmm. how to, you know, here's your path to, uh, um, you know, being an equity partner in a big firm. But we're just way, way underweight, you know, how do you go just, you know, work at a cool company that, you know, the company that you love to check out on, you know, Saturday morning or Friday night or, you know, Mm -hmm. lunch, how do you go work for that company, you know, and how do you, and when you do that, you know, like, how do you stretch the boundaries of what people can't get done, you know, because, you know, once, you know, you got these rules, you got through a friend of a friend, well, then, things happen like that, that's glue, right? So like by having more people in your role, you know, we have just more, like now I, I have someone I can go to if I have any kind of like interest in media or questions about media or, or, or anything I'm trying to explore in, in some ways I am, you know, like this is, that's what a podcast is. That's what, you know, the sort of community that I'm working on is. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I, I guess I don't even know if I have a question, but it's just, <laughs> I'm just raising the, the, the issue that, you know, I think we do need to have so much more, um, conversations like this one and talking so much more about, you know, just the different directions you can go and applying that same grit. You know, I feel like some people like they're applying that grit to like, okay, I'm just going to go chase, you know, that big firm or that in-house role, you know, mm-hmm. at, at Google or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like it, you know, we, we, we are children of immigrants. And I think that does, it's a, there's a selection factor there that brings in people of a certain grit. So, you know, it's not like I'm surprised to hear that you were able to persevere. I wanted to hear how you persevered and achieve what you did. I'm not surprised mm-hmm. that you did, um, <laughs> you know? And so it just like, it's, it's all about just like switching your goals and like recognizing, I mean, like you sounds like you intuitively understood that, you know, Hey, uh, you know, titles, whatever don't matter, but you know, that stuff matters to a lot of people. And I, but I don't sure. think it has to be that way. Right. It doesn't have to be that way. So I think a big part of it is just like, it just starts with just, you know, seeing people like yourself and, and seeing what you're doing um, to even just see that that's a path. You know, so I think this is a start, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know if there was a question there, but, <laughs> but, 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 but yeah, I, I think that that's very much why I, I stay the path kind of, I stay the course. Cause I think that like a lot of people say representation does matter. Yeah. Um, you know, to your first point, I, I know that people, and and props to everyone who like wants to work for the firm and work their way up to partner and and be the Supreme Court um, clerk and and then the you know eventually the judge all this sort of stuff. In my mind, and and it's just my opinion. In my mind, I've always thought that we need people to represent us in the arts. Mm-hmm. That's what we need. Like that's where change comes from. That's how you change people's perspectives of you, right? And I think that that's really important. And that's where I thought I could play my position in terms of I can help those people, right? That like when they get out there, you know, they're not getting taken for everything. You know, they have good contracts. They have, they know their rights. They can do whatever, because I really think that that's where our power comes from. Yeah. You can be a partner here or a clerk here, or whatever, all this sort of stuff. It, at the end of the day, you are still a brown person and no one outside of that gives a shit. Like that's just how it is. But when Hassan Minaj puts out a new a new special, we're all viewed like him, right? And so I want to make and I so I think that's really powerful and I want to make sure that those people are protected and that's why I kind of stay the course with this. And 
you know, I did want to add one other thing, which was that, um, I like, I haven't made it anywhere. Right. Like I think <laughs> I say it all the time. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not anything. I'm not anybody, but one thing I've always been so cognizant of is that glue that you're talking about, which is the people who helped me along the way. And what I feel it is, is my responsibility to do going forward. Um, I don't think you'll find a single person who will tell you that I, I blackballed them or I didn't help them or something. Anytime anyone randomly hits me up and wants to know anything about how is it to like to be in media? How'd you get in? How'd you do, how'd you do this? Can you refer me for this? I do it in a heartbeat, right? Like I'll check, make sure you have like some qualifications, of course, with the referrals. But that's what's powerful to me about getting to all these positions is that now, you know, I'm no longer advice, but I know a ton of people advice. Um, and my former colleagues, they spread out everywhere. They went to Netflix, they went to Vox, they went to Bustle, they went all over the place. And so I can be that conduit, you know, I am more than happy to do that for people so they don't have to struggle the way that I did, like the way that I had to keep hitting the wall. Like I'm, I'm here for you, you know, to help you with this. Um, and that's why I'm so, it's so cool to me that you wanted to talk to me because if even anybody hears that and wants to like take me up on that offer, it's getting so dark here. I can't even reach the lights. I'm sorry. Um, it, I'm more than happy to do that. And I used to, it used to pain me and I used to hate it so much that people would get to such high levels in companies and act like they didn't know how to do that. Yeah. Like. I understand fully the pressures of the position and you're making it up there and you don't want to be pulled back down. You also don't want to hire the next person who's going to take your role, et cetera, all this sort of stuff. I fully get that, but I really just think it's bullshit. I think it is. I think it's a crock of shit. Like there's no reason for you to get to those positions unless you can bring your people with you, right? Your people being whoever they are. And I know with me being a little nobody, I've been able to refer people you know, like you re that's your responsibility. You reach back and bring someone with you. Um, and so that's, that's kind of, I guess that that had to do with one of your points, <laughs> but I, I, I did want to bring that up. Yeah. yeah. I just, I mean, yeah, I, I love your point about Hassan Minaj, you know, and just like, I just remember like, you know, I was watching an episode and, you know, he said something in Urdu or Hindi or whatever. And I'm just mm -hmm. like, that's just crazy. Like I literally never even could have grasped as a kid that, you know, he's going to go out like some, like somebody's going to have someone from my community is not going to okay. have like one of the most popular shows, but like he'll say stuff about my community is not even explain it. He's not even explaining. It. He's like, this is just insiders only. Yeah. Like, yeah. Me. Or like Camille Nanjiani. Cause like, yeah. So when I, I was in Chicago, he was still a comic in Chicago and he was, he was like on the rise there and he's the kind of person who get profiled in time out in Chicago, whatever. And uh, I, I moved in 2006. And so he actually left uh, like shortly after I moved there. So he wasn't there too much. Um, we didn't overlap that long while he was uh -huh. there. Uh, but I remember even then I was like, oh, it's like really cool. There's like this like Pakistani comic, you know, he's, he, this dude's funny. I think he's funny. Yeah. And so then, you know, just again, to see him blow up in that way too, just like the idea of like people being familiar with, you know, just even hearing about Pakistan. And something that's and, and, and then we become known for that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah, you I become known as that. And I think that's so powerful. Like yeah. it's great that you're a partner. It's great that you're a clerk. These all things matter. All of it matters. But yeah. like, this is, this is a truly unique way to make our presence felt in the overall culture, you know? Um, I, I just think that that's, that's so important and we need to, we need to support them and we need to, we need to help them. Um, and we need to believe we can be there too. You know what I mean? That's actually another thing that this one dude, this one, I, I still, I still deal with it a lot. Like in what I do, I'm fairly frequently the only brown face. I think to this day, I have been the only brown face. There might be one time where there was an there was an attorney on the other side who was representing some talent I forget who, um, and it was a brown name and I was like oh shit I that's crazy I did not know that um, so but I think I'm the only one and I will say upfront I am not that personality type that innately was like ooh I'm the shit right like I'm the different one or whatever some people some people are like that I've more so felt like. 
I really represent so many people and I have to make sure I'm on top of my shit. I have to make sure I know what I'm doing. I have to make sure I'm cool. Like I'm not a fucking nerd. Like they think that we all are like, I have to make sure I'm cool. Like there's all these little things that go on in my head and I stress myself out. Right. But there was this guy that I turned to in the elevator at universal, um, who was an uncle. And I turned to him and I go, yo, you were the only literally in the elevator. I said, you're the only other Brown person I've ever seen in this building. Who are you? He looked like an uncle. He turned out to be the general manager of Def Jam. So for anyone listening, an uncle used to be the general manager of Def Jam recordings. It's insanity. And he burst out laughing and he was just like, come, you know, come to my office. Let's talk. I talked to him. I'm on great terms with him. Like he's such a nice guy, such a cool guy. And that was one of the things I asked him, which was just like, how do you deal with it, man? I did not know that Brown people could even be here. And you're here as a general manager. You're the number two for Def Jam recordings. How, how do you deal with that? And he was like, I don't give a fuck. He was just like, I'm different. And I use that to my advantage. He's Mm -hmm. like, they pay attention to me. I mean, this guy is the most cerebral, like smartest dude I've ever sat across the table from. Like when he was looking at me, I could tell he was looking inside my soul. Like as he looked at me, he's one of those type of people. And he just said, he just said that he was just like, I'm different. And I'm not going to be afraid of that. I'm going to use it to my advantage. And, and that always stuck with me too. So, I mean, like I haven't gotten there yet, but I've been slowly, slowly kind of building that. Yeah. yeah it's interesting. Cause I, I also would understand you to mean that, you know, you are, you know, by being distinct and not being like this, like stereotype, you're also the re- like part of the context for why you want to present that you're not a stereotype is because you are tied to this community. Like, Hey, I do represent this community in that I am different. And I think yeah. that's a key thing between, Honestly, I think a lot of the gray hairs, you know, in our community, let's say the South Asian community, I think any number of them, I think probably had a lot of pressure to assimilate, a lot of pressure to get on sure. with the powers that be. And I feel like particularly, I think the up and coming, say like generation of lawyers, but I think also, you know, our vintage, uh, you know, I think we're much more like, yeah, I mean, this is a crew, you know, mm-hmm. Um and uh, yeah, I think that's a much different dynamic. So I, I'm much more, you know, the reason why, you know, Pontycool and, and, you know, this podcast or things that I'm, I'm pushing on now is because just kind of like you're saying, like, I think there's a zeitgeist to capture here. And I feel mm-hmm. like this couldn't happen unless I felt like there was this collective interest happening now. Like, I'm just like, I'm just like, just like the little, you know, sailboat that's just like, you know, it's just like, Playing up his tack, I don't know anything about sailing. Yeah, <laughs> but it comes a win, you know. Um, yeah. So yeah, I for that reason, I'm very optimistic about you know our ability to expand our community. Um, it's gonna happen. Yeah, it, it's it's gonna happen. Like there's no way it doesn't happen. Yep. You know, we want different. We have different. We have different uh, pushes and pulls than our parents did, mm-hmm. right? Like they had different things. They had to survive. We don't necessarily have to survive the way that they did. So now we're pushing it, right? And if we don't get through, the ones after us will, because they will have had it a little bit better as well. And they'll have their own distinct pushes and pulls, but it's definitely going to happen. Like for sure, it's going to happen, you know? Um, And I hope, you know, I hope I'm a part of it. I hope you're a part of it. I hope everyone realizes how supporting each other is really the way forward. Um, Not just like being out there for yourself and stuff. I don't know. That's just a really old way of thinking, you know, super old. We did it, man. We did it. We did it. I'm man. Thank you for having me. You know, like that's uh, again, I'm always, I'm baffled that anyone wants, you know, that anyone wants to talk to me. Um, but it's, it's very cool of you to, you know, want, you know, want to talk to me. I hope I said some shit that had merit that made sense. Um, I think you cursed maybe, maybe a hundred times more than. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, record that's good i remember one of the outside councils because i showed up in one of the vice one of the vice videos two of them but one of them uh we had to take that out for some other considerations but when when our outside council saw the video she was like she was just like Kanal, you look like a fucking cool vice lawyer because i was in there with like my backwards hat and my tattoos out and like i didn't I don't know. It just didn't occur to me that it was that I had to be a certain way. You, you know what I mean? It was just that jogged the memory. It was really funny. She was like, no, I really, 
I really love it. I think it's hilarious because you, if I need, if I wanted to picture a vice lawyer, um, it's that I would, I would have pictured that. And I was like, that's so great because I'm a Brown dude. And I never thought that would be possible. Yeah. I'm very remiss in comment, but like, as soon as I pulled up the zoom screen, I'm like, Oh, that's just a cool look. That's just cool. <laughs> so, 